It felt very stars hollow. Symbolizing Chardon's new sphere. An octopus solving the mystery for us. Yeah, let's read this as an argument for universal basic income. Welcome to Literary Connections. We're friends who started a podcast because we live on opposite sides of the world, and we're going to use books to stay connected. I'm James Earl with only one heart in Milan, Italy. Oh, and I'm Melissa Hansen, living in captivity in San Francisco, <laughs> California, amidst the rainstorms. Uh, all right, this is a good intro. This month, we're reading Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And just to be upfront, we are going to spoil it for you. And this is a book with a lot of meandering plots. And if you don't want to know how they all end up, then maybe skip this one until you read the full book. There is a twist. And the twist involves an octopus solving the mystery for us. <laughs> yep, the... Octopus pretty much tells us what the twist is midway through, but the way that the octopus is going to solve this problem, because the octopus obviously cannot speak to the humans, is the thing that, I guess, is the tension that drives the rest of the novel. Well, speaking of that tension, maybe, James, you could give us a summary of that tension. Yeah, yeah. One minute on the clock, and three, two, one, go. Okay, there are basically two plots with one like half plot that is the octopus the two plots are there is a woman named tova who mysteriously who had her son mysteriously disappear a few years ago she's widowed she works as a cleaner in the aquarium um she has a will they won't they with a local grocery shop deli owner and she is just trying to figure out what how she's going to age gracefully um and that's that's sort of what she's doing with the the grief that she carries from her missing son and then the other plot line is cameron a 30 something year old uh who is in and out of jobs he's been canned more times than he can remember and he's trying to find his long lost father his mother is um an addict and she is not uh, involved in his life so he's just like trying to find some stability and find a parent to see if his long-lost father will be able to pay for him to live in the world. And then we spend the rest of the book trying to figure out if they're related to each other, and then there's an octopus who's going to try to bring them together. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes, because the octopus is smarter than anyone else. Because, like, this octopus is so smart that he's able to get himself out of his own captivity. And so he, like, will crawl around, and then he discovers things where he's like, wait a second... I totally know that you're the grandson and you're the grandma. And how can I use my ability to give you weird tokens that I find around the aquarium to convince you that you are related? Yeah. How can I provide you with enough clues? Yeah. Yeah. And the way that the octopus figures it out is that they walk the same. I mean, this was an incredibly smart octopus. He also could recognize that the house key that Tova had was identical to the one that he had found on the bottom of the ocean floor. Right. He remembers everything. He remembers all the fingerprints he's ever seen and mm -hmm. all sorts of all sorts of things. He is a remarkably bright creature. Yeah. But also like remarkably bright and also like remarkably like shady and over everything. Yeah. I listened to the audiobook for this one and Michael Yuri's interpretation of the octopus was fantastic. <laughs> right. Just totally stuck up, self-important. That's the arc that the octopus is on in this book is one that goes from complete self-importance and self-interest 
to something that acts in service to other people, which I think is a, a, a theme throughout the whole book. Yeah, I think there is that tension throughout the entire book around like taking care of yourself and being like self-focused. Yeah. The entire plot of Tova is trying to figure out her son has passed away, her husband has passed away, her brother has passed away. What does that mean for her? And she's deciding that, you know, she doesn't want to be a burden to anyone at her in her hometown. So she's just going to move to one of those um, retirement villages and just like liquidate all of her money so that she can afford to like end her life there. And all of her friends are like, no, like, let us take care of you. Like, it's, you've taken care of us. Like, it is a mutual sort of thing. And there's meaning that Tova is able to find throughout the novel of taking care of others and then being taken care of herself. And Marcellus learns a similar lesson. Yeah, exactly. Like their their two plot lines mirror each other, where they both begin with in a form of captivity. Marcellus's is a little bit more obvious, but they're both like in this form of captivity mm-hmm. where they want to just like be isolated from or I, Marcellus is unclear whether or not he wants to be isolated from everybody else, but he certainly doesn't want to. He's not looking to make friends at the beginning. He is like built up these walls around him in place of the physical walls that are around him, or I guess like as a result of the physical walls that are around him. But these like emotional walls where he doesn't want to be involved with anybody. And it's the same with Tova. She like wants to build up these walls and like isolate herself so she's not a burden to other people or she doesn't need to deal with it, but she wants to be like self-contained kind of a person. And then they realize that no, actually being of service to other people is really meaningful and letting yourself be a, a part of a community that can support you and you can be supported and then everybody is a community together. Mm-hmm. There was a really nice line that one of the nitwits says when Tova's basically explaining her philosophy of being contained and not wanting to be a burden. And the nitwit says, hmm, that's your problem. You think that it's a burden. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you're framing your existence is is the problem here. Yeah, I I think there's also something that's interesting about Tova and Marcellus and then Ethan, the Scottish guy who owns the supermarket, where they're all immigrants to a certain extent into this community. Yeah. And they've all approached it very, very differently. Eventually, it's like everyone comes more like Ethan, where it's like you need to like embedding yourself a little bit more into it and being a part. And that makes you happier because Ethan is objectively the happiest of all three of them. Yeah, yeah. he seems like he's the the most well-adjusted, for sure. He like allows himself there. I want to return to the being of service and quitting one's isolation and being part of a community. But I also want to take a turn into talking about the role of gossip in the book because that is one of the ways in which Ethan involves himself in the community is through like being a hub for gossip and the nitwits are gossips and the whole town talks about Eric being missing the sun so I don't know you got any thoughts on the different ways that gossip appears in uh, in, in the novel um it felt very stars hollow the whole situation where everybody knows everybody's business there's a couple of things about like the pros and cons of gossip I think are shown in the book. Right. I think it problematizes it. It's it's not a simple equation here. Yeah, because pro is like Ethan has like a sense of self and is like creating a sense of community for himself. He's very, very happy because he's able to create gossip as a service to other people to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm exchanging information. Like this is almost like I'm giving you a pen or a sandwich for free. Like I am giving you this information yeah. either to delight you or to help you in your life. Also because of gossip, that is how we're able to figure out if we didn't have, again, like the octopus in the situation, if we took out Marcellus, gossip is what would have gotten us to understand that 
Cameron's mother was the girlfriend of Toba's son. Yeah. Um, we find that out through the gossip and like the drunk martini friend and all that stuff. And then more stuff that Ethan finds out. Yeah. But then obviously there's like downsides of that as well, where Cameron, when he's getting very upset with Ethan and all this stuff, he's like, he like calls it out. He's like, you're kind of just like a know-it-all like gossip. And that can hurt people being told information about other people that they don't necessarily want to know. And like that is potentially doing more harm than good. And so there really is like both of that thing. But I think ultimately it's coming down the side of like gossip is good and gossip creates community. Yeah. And gossip solves mysteries when you don't have octopuses around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the best example of the, the dual nature of gossip in the book is when Ethan is going around town trying to figure out who the bad check was was posted by and what's the deal with this woman who who posted a bad check a long, long time ago. And Cameron's reaction is, you're spreading rumors about my mother. Like, my mother is already a deadbeat. We don't need uh, everybody in the town to know about this. Like, why are you just spreading this information about her? It's pernicious. But he's actually, like, Ethan's point, is his retort back to Cameron is, this isn't about you, actually. Like, yes, it's your mother and everything, but I'm, I'm trying to help Tova. I'm not trying, like, you caught a stray. It's like the same gossip that was in service of Tova ends up being something that actively hurts and insults Cameron. And yeah, that's like a good, it's a pretty good description of, of gossip. Like there are moments when it's really good and it is, is service and connects people. And also it will unintentionally hurt other people. And it's pretty good. There's that part about like gossip in the community that I think is also presented a lot about like what is the role of family because mm-hmm. family is another thing that has like a lot of like pros and cons yeah to it and the the importance of family in this book yeah like everyone is finding like their family throughout this right it's it's a new take on the found family yeah, yeah. where it's like you found your family and surprise you're actually you're family. actually family you're family the whole time yeah but I think it, it is interesting because there's a lot of they try to build a lot of parallels in the book of like different things of like Cameron has like right this like absentee mom and doesn't know who his dad is and then of course Cameron falls in love with a single mom right who's able to help him build empathy for his single mom yeah yeah there's really good doubling throughout where it's like a perfect little puzzle where relationships are doubled and you're asked to compare them and you're right the the best example of that is Avery being the single mother who's 30 something like 32, I think, and she's got a 15-year-old boy. And then that would have been roughly equivalent to what uh, Cameron's mother age difference would have been with him. So, yeah, just learning that empathy. You can't have a relationship with your mother, which is another weird thing where it's like, that means that his his girlfriend at the end is doubled with his mother. <laughs> that reminds us of when uh, we read The Do-Over, where the dead younger brother was doubled with the girlfriend. Yeah, it's a little incestuous. Yeah. There is this interesting thing about um, mother-child relationships that come through the book where, like, Tova didn't know that her son was seeing anyone. Yeah. And she, like, this is a big shock to her. And she's like, wow, like, why didn't I know this? Yeah. And then obviously, like, Avery being a single parent. And then the main thing is this did not come in, but I know this about octopuses because I watched my octopus teacher. Yeah. Where female octopuses, basically before they're young or born, they like scoop up all the resources and then they like give birth and like are giving birth and like 
feeding their young and like giving all the resources and they promptly die mm. immediately after they like not give birth but whatever octopuses do ah so marcellus's mother did the same thing would have given birth and disappeared yeah and just like immediately like died yeah faded away hmm. in an interest in taking care of it which is exactly what daphne cameron's mother did yeah. i mean it's, it's a little bit different you're filling yourself up with like food versus drugs right. but like there's this element of like sacrifice is in the novel as well is like sacrificing what you want for someone else which is part of that like again like building community like not being a burden and th- that to me really brought the octopus structure home for me is like remembering that from my octopus teacher. Yeah. Then I guess my question for you is, do you feel like Marcellus adds to this book? Like, do we need Marcellus in this book? Right. Is is he just a gimmick? Yeah. That's the thing. I think the short answer is he is, he is a gimmick and uh, that role could have been taken with something less gimmicky. However, the octopus does serve a symbolic purpose. Like, there's a lot of things about the octopus that add a poetry to the novel that wouldn't be there without the octopus. The the distributed intelligence part, how, like, his arms are all distributed intelligence. And, like, that plays itself out where we've got this octopus structure where we've got all these different plot lines and they're all coming together and they each have their own motivations, their own intelligence. And I mean, like, Cameron has his own motivations, his own intelligence. Tova has her own motivations, her own intelligence. Ethan. And so all these pieces are coming together. Cameron's mother... Like, they all do drive towards each other. Like, they all act in concert to make this have a happy ending. And and them all working together, like, that central theme of they all have to work together in order to solve this mystery. Like, there needs to be a bunch of people in service to each other. And, like, they're not going to solve the problem themselves unless they try to help somebody else solve a problem. And, like, that ends up being a theme of the the novel. And so the distributed intelligence of an octopus like fits that. That like adds a poetry to it. And that's that's nice. I don't know what role com- camouflage plays because they, they spent like, I don't know, there was like three lines about distributed intelligence in the entire book, but there's a lot of lines about camouflage. So I feel like that was more important, but I couldn't figure out what the metaphor was there. Yeah, I think there is a an interesting thing around camouflage where Marcellus is talking about how all the different sea creatures they're able to blend into their surroundings whether they change color or they look like the the sand or something like that and so like what is like the human version of like camouflage and I think there is a question around assimilation versus like adaptation to your environment Mm -hmm. which I think does come up with the idea of like we have a lot of immigrants in the book with both Ethan and Tova oh that's great as well as Cameron having to adjust from California to Washington. Yeah, that's really great. And even, you know, uh, Avery needing to adapt to motherhood and move to a place where she can build a store because she couldn't build a store in her hometown. So she moves to a place where it's cheap enough and has to assimilate herself and essentially camouflage herself into this community that has paddle boarding. That's good. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think in that way, the octopus does add a lot. Like he points us in the direction of some uh, some meaningful themes and like adds a poetry. So that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with yes. He, he serves a purpose. Yeah, I think he does, too. I think what I had hoped is that they hadn't solved as much of the mystery by themselves. And that it was more dependent. Right. It was more dependent. Because, like, they basically were, like, two steps. Like, we knew Daphne's last name was the same as Cameron's. We knew Daphne was the girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like, there was nothing stopping them from solving this mystery themselves. Yeah, it just Tova needed to find out the last name before she sold everything. I don't know, before she moved into the old folks' home. Yeah. 
Speaking of the old folks home, their catchphrase was, we specialize in happy endings. I know. And that wasn't a joke. Is that a joke? It didn't seem like that was a joke. Well, I think it's just, the, is, is the business self-aware of it, of it is the question. The way that I read it, it didn't seem like the author was aware that it was a joke to me. Like, I thought that not comment, commenting on it, the line that... that follows the line about happy endings was more about how dark it is to acknowledge the fact that people go there to die. Yeah. I think it's one of those things like it's funny in a book. If I saw an actual business with that name in real life, I'd be like, what the Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But there is something about there is this this theme throughout the book around like Marcellus is counting down his last days. He's like, I know from reading the plaque that I'm living like a couple more days. Yeah. Like, what is Marcellus's happy ending? Right. And then Tova is doing the same thing. She's counting down the days and she's like, how much is this going to cost me to be here versus in an old folks retirement home? Yeah, there's a lot of urgency in the book because also Cameron, even though he's not counting down the days till he dies, he's counting down the number of days that he can spend in this town given his budget and before he has to go home. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of urgency. Some of it is natural, some of it is constructed, but like mm-hmm. the novel's dependent on that urgency. Yeah. And I think there's something that's interesting that Marcellus is what he's trying to do is getting get out of captivity with his remaining days. And what Tova is trying to do is almost get into further captivity. Yeah, Marcellus is, is always trying to escape his confinement. And Tova is looking to confine herself even further and like remove herself from her community. Yeah. yeah. So the thing that to me that was like the twist for me, because it was, it was pretty obvious that like, we, like, how is Cameron related? Like, we're going to make some assumptions here. That wasn't like a super shocker to me. But what was a shocker for me for some reason was at the very end when we find out Terry, who owns the aquarium, has known the entire time that Marcellus does this. Like he like runs around the aquarium. Yeah. And then he he's just like, yeah, yeah you might not know this, Tova, but like Marcellus was a rescue. Mm-hmm. There was a shark that like ate like three of his legs and like we're the ones who saved him by putting him here. Yeah. And that to me was like a really interesting thematic twist which then made me see the parallel better with like Tova's storyline, which is like mm-hmm. Tova is in need of a rescue. Right. And like one way to be rescued is to be taken into further captivity where people like are more readily taking care of you. And it's like really focused on like this exact experience, but you're also cutting yourself off from like the bigger world and in interest of being like safer. So she is considering that like, she's like, I'm going to put myself into the human aquarium. Not realizing that, like, yes, that might have been the initial thing that saved Marcellus, but then it's also the ultimate thing that, like, caused his complete dissatisfaction and contempt for his life. Right. That's totally true. Marcellus never really had the chance to be a part of a a meaningful community of other octopuses, and so he is aspiring to that, whereas Tova has loved and lost. Like, she tried to play the game. She had the family. She had the kid. She lost, and now she needs rescue and so she could move herself into further confinement in the same way that Marcellus was moved into confinement in his youth. Oh my god, wait, she loses three legs too. She loses her brother, her husband, and her son. Oh, nice. So many parallels in this book. Yeah, and then she's in a boot, so fourth leg. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, and then she like like just like he grew his legs back. She yeah, yeah, her right. Leg back. She Right. She gets her son back in the form of Cameron. She gets the boot back. Yeah. No, this is good. Yeah. And the husband back in Ethan. Yeah. She grows yeah. it all back after. And she didn't really like her brother. So did she need a new brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez, dark. 
<laughs> well, she's got Aunt Jean. I'm sure her and Aunt Jean will have a good relationship. Oh, yeah, because she gets, she gets all of Cameron's um, friends. And, yeah, he's got his People. two best friends in, yeah. in uh, California and their baby. Yeah. And is like, you're their grandma. And she's like, I've never met this child yeah. or these parents. <laughs> it's nothing to me. Yeah. What did you think about the misdirect of is Cameron's dad the rich guy from the photograph? Uh, yeah, I mean, I sort of, there was never a time that I was fully bought into that. Yeah. My experience of reading that section was more how desperately Cameron needed to have a father. And so just like watching his process there and watching his motivations evolve, like it seemed like he was motive hunting. Like he was like, I want to meet my father. And then it's why. And he, I don't know, he moves around from like financial security to a relationship to revenge it's like so he's just sort of like motive hunting for why he even wants to meet this guy i found that part interesting i don't i mean at least my experience of reading the novel i didn't think it was there to be a red herring like i don't think that we're ever meant to actually think it's this guy yeah i had kind of hoped that we would at least like get more information from simon yeah it's cool that they were like best friends and that like he, like he created a hipster bar in her honor, but I was like, I thought basically it would like be a way for us to actually meet Daphne. Yeah. Um. It's like, oh, he's still in contact, or right. like he'd be like, oh, actually, like I knew that she was dating this dude who really liked. Yeah. The water. Yeah. During that scene in the bar, I thought that the the book was taking like a weirder turn than it actually was because it like got all mysterious and there was candles and everything like that. I was like, oh man, this is the descent into the underworld. The hero has to go and confront. So I thought something super weird was going to happen down there and then it was really sort of anticlimactic. Yeah, I thought that it was going to be that Daphne and he did hook up and that is his sister, Cameron's sister. Oh. But Cameron is obviously like, he might be Daphne's child, but not Simon's. Mm. And so I thought that was what was going to happen, but then it did not happen. <laughs> no, yeah, it ended up just being uh, more information, more gossip, and it was fine. Yeah, I guess that the point of it was that we needed Cameron to hit his, like, bottom. Yeah. From which he could return, and that was his version of bottom. Right. I think the problem is, is that even when Cameron hit his bottom, Cameron sucked so hard, yeah. and I hated Cameron so much, <laughs> that I was like, get over yourself, man! yeah. I mean, there's things I like about Cameron. The fact that he's sending money back to Angie and he just drops everything to go help her get Ivy off of her trailer and stuff like this. But yeah, I mean, most of the time he's got such a quick trigger to anger and Mm -hmm. he just seems like he makes bad decisions a lot. Like, don't leave the message with the 15-year-old in the shop. We all knew that was stupid, and he never he never even seems to realize it was stupid. Yeah. He just goes, oh, man, yeah, that kid did have a smirk on his face at the end. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the book has a sympathetic view on everyone. Cameron is the way that he is. His mother abandoned him. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. know who his dad is. The book does make a very pointed effort of, like, Daphne likely descended into drug abuse after she saw her boyfriend die. Right. And then had to raise his kid. Like, it's a tough spot. That was, like, the, the last piece of information we get about Daphne is that yeah. Avery, the other single mother, saves Daphne's life. Yeah. So that she doesn't, like, throw herself into the depths of the ocean where her ex-boyfriend passed away. Yeah. So I, I do think there's, like, an ultimate, like, if you dig enough layers, you can find, like, a sympathetic story or a reason for people being the way that they are. Which I think is, again, like, about gossip, about, like, creating a community is, like... Right. 
that you've done that work that like ties you together. Yeah, that you know everybody, even if you don't know them, you know them. You know that there's a story there, that nothing is just yeah. like simple and we just like don't like this person. It's like, well, actually, this all this happened. Yeah. And you just need to give them another chance if you can. Yeah, no, the, the idea of gossip and service runs throughout the entire um, novel. And that, that for me was the best part of it is just like that every every character had to find a way to be of service. Like Cameron with his in and out of jobs and the only person he's really of service to is um, Aunt Jean who doesn't need him to be of service to her. Like she is totally fine on her own. She's, she's going on a cruise. She's like living her best life. <laughs> right, right, right. So like the fact that like he she's the only person that he seems to like show up for regularly. He needed to find a way to do something else of service. So he finds it in being the janitor at the at the aquarium and also just a friend to Ethan and so on. And that's like another weird part of this novel for me is that everybody can be of service to everybody else. And that's sort of the, the arc that everybody's on. But also literally everybody seemed to have a safety net that they could fall back on with maybe the exception of Cameron's mother. But everybody else, it's like Toba has a financial has financial security she's fine mm -hmm. and jean seems to have financial security she's fine cameron at the end of the day can always go back and be protected by aunt jean and her money so it's like everybody can take these risks and like show up for other people but all of them have the like ability to do that mm -hmm. because they don't need to be taking care of their own needs like none of them are up against the wall like i need to be working yeah i need to like if i if this doesn't work out then i'm totally screwed for the rest of my life like nobody the stakes are never there for that right yeah and then the simon talks about how he and daphne both became best friends because they grew up poor and like nearby apartments but simon how did he become rich he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and like worked really really hard yeah this is very interesting because we don't really see anyone who's like really, really struggling. Everyone's able to get to this happy ending, as you might say, by working hard and being good at solving puzzles. I don't know if your version of the book had a sticker that says "Read with Jenna" on it. Oh no, it's a it's a Jenna it's a Jenna Bush. It's a Jenna Bush book. I didn't know that. I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah, no, she has good books. I think we've read other books by Jenna. I don't remember which ones, but I think I think we have. Right, right. I'm not saying this wasn't a good book. Yeah. But I think there is something that's like, oh, this got OG conservative uh, yeah, like, yeah. royalty approval. Yeah. Small government, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like your community can like support you. I'll be real. I don't know anything about Jenna Bush other than one time I saw her at a party at Yale because she's either exactly my age or a year younger than me. But other than that, I don't know anything about her. My understanding is that she's as apolitical as anyone can be with the last name that she has. Right. She's not doing like a Meghan McCain sort of situation. Right. Her brand is predicated on her being able to appeal to everybody. Which this book does. Yeah. 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 This book is totally like that. It's got everything. Right. Like even we're thinking about like the drug addict mother, the handouts she gets are from like her rich friend yeah it is like that do you give to charity or do you have higher taxes so you can create like robust social services yeah this is a book where it's like rich people give to charity yeah which i think a lot of people view as an apolitical viewpoint right right there is that moment when cameron calls out the real estate mogul brigsby and says something about how he's got a lot of money and he just goes i worked really hard and <laughs> just like one really quick line i worked really hard that's that's all that there is mm-hmm so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't deal with that, but it's also not a book about that. But I, I just thought it was interesting that 
Tova has this really modest job that she shows up for. She doesn't need the job, but she shows up for it every day. She does it really well, and that she takes a lot of pride in doing things the right way and making friends with the octopus and mentorship of Cameron, ultimately, is where that lands. And there's something interesting about, like, okay, when scarcity isn't a thing in somebody's life, they have the ability to just, like, do this job for these reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't it was a nuance, but it did allow... It gave the book the space to focus more on service for the sake of service and then the rewards of dedicating your life to making somebody or something, in the case of Marcellus, more comfortable. I mean, I love this interpretation that it's actually an argument for universal basic income. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah. if you're not worried about money, you can just focus on doing high quality work right. in service of other people. Like the way that Tova is able to approach her work or the way that Ethan is able to just be like, yo man, you seem like to be struggling. Like, here's a sandwich. Here's some pens. Yeah. It, it's not about the money. <laughs> it's not about the money. Yeah. And right, if Tova just had to live her life on a salary that she was making there it might have been more of a struggle but it wasn't so she could just fall in love with the work itself because it wasn't i don't know there wasn't the the promise of capital or a retirement at the end of it like she was just doing it because she found a pleasure in the work itself yeah so yeah i yeah let's read this as an argument for universal basic income what a progressive book yeah it might be because i i right before reading this one reread Becky Chambers' book, A Record of a Spaceborn Few, because it's a very communal system that that book takes place in. And it's sort of like, if you want to do this work, you do this work. And that's that's where you provide value to the world. And then this book sort of had that as well, but not in a utopia setting like Becky Chambers' books often appear in. Yeah. And that's like, obviously, like what Cameron needs to experience is like being in a job long enough yeah. that he can learn that with like the right mentor. Right. Because up at that point, he was, like, fired within, like, a, a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You want to move on to an IB question? Yeah, let's do it. Well, in our master PDF of all the IB questions, the very first one on the list I feel like is appropriate for our book. It is, in what ways and for what reasons does the work of prose fiction you have studied seek to represent thought or interior consciousness? I mean, right at the start, the interior consciousness question, we only have access to one character's interior consciousness fully. Really, the only person whose insight we have into their full interior consciousness is Marcellus the octopus. Yeah, where everything is like super first person, lots of personality. Yeah. Giving like his entire life story from his perspective. And he has a... An abnormal interior consciousness with a spectacular memory, mm-hmm. a bunch of people who get to tell stories about him, but never he never gets to tell his own story. And so the only thing he has is an interior world. He doesn't have any friends or other people he can communicate with. So that's all he has. And he's communicating. He's doing these like communiques with the reader that apparently take a lot out of him. So they're all very short. We've got that interior consciousness. Okay, so let's think about how this... Uh, supports larger themes. Yeah. Well, I think there is this element around how do you build empathy for other people and it's getting to know their stories. People make a lot of assumptions about what someone's interior consciousness is. Like even just like basic things where Cameron's like checking his ex-girlfriend's Instagram. It's like, oh, well, she's having the best time of her life, blah, blah, blah. It's like, guys, we all know Instagram isn't real. (laughs) Yeah. The most ready example of this is 
we hear Marcellus's first person narration and then we see this third person interpretation by Tova or Cameron of what Marcellus is doing. And we feel as the reader, like this tension of like, we know what Marcellus is trying to communicate. And it's like, Tova, just understand what he's doing. Yeah. And that tension feels like extra poignant because of that way that it's written. Yeah. Additionally, one of Marcellus's struggles is that the whole world wants to see him one way and then is surprised when he's smart or capable or something like that. And that, I think, is the experience everybody has when they, like, read one article about Octopus. You're like, whoa, they're really smart. And then it's like there's a condescension to that. So, yeah, we see his interior consciousness responding to the way that he's perceived. um, But he's not able to communicate to the rest of the world the way that he wants to be perceived. So he just is recurring, watching people be like, oh, they're remarkably bright creatures, and so on. And then he does that. He uses that same condescending uh, phrase towards humans at the very end, so it flips it on its on its head. But the thing I want to say about that is, in some ways, Marcellus's interior consciousness could be this like larger interconnected web of nature and the world that is pulling people towards service to each other. Like that is the underlying logic of this book, is that people are drawn to each other and like want to help each other and that gossip is part of that like gossip even when it's pernicious it seeks to be supportive or at least in the cases that are represented in this book i'm sure we could come up with a lot of counter examples so like the interior conscious serves as like a i don't know a gaia conscious like a whole natural world consciousness that is if i'm going to pull in like some weird philosophy about it i'd pull in Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who has this idea of a new sphere and this new sphere of like an interconnected consciousness between all people. And like even when we're at war with each other, he called war the kneading of the human dough, that as we have war, we just get more interconnected with each other. And then we leave wars as a more interconnected global population. And it's like the new sphere has more nodes connected to nodes. I don't know, in some ways... Marcellus's interior consciousness is representative of that new sphere where like even when people are fighting with each other like Cameron gets into an argument with Ethan it ends up pulling them closer together ultimately and there's this this, like web symbolized by a multi-armed being like a literal web pulling everything together. Right. And the story connects in places where you don't expect it to where like Avery and Daphne have met together and there's like there is a broader connection the length of Tova's life, she's like made many, many connections that are all over. Yeah, yeah. What you were saying, not quite in the the universal web, but talking about how Marcellus is like very smart and he's like, why are everyone surprised that I'm smart? Like, obviously I'm a yeah. genius. And like that to me is a parallel to like how Cameron has struggled in the book where he's like, oh yeah, no one realizes that I'm really smart because I keep on losing my job. And even like when he first meets Avery, she's like, I don't really date younger men. You're like, what, 24? He's like, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. The, like, high-level facts about him. He's, like, a, in a band called Moth Sausage. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't graduate high school or he didn't go to college. Like, all these things, they come loaded with perception. We perceive somebody that's in a band called Moth Sausage, somebody who looks younger than he is, somebody who didn't go to college as 
having certain traits. And so him being like, what's up? Like, I'm old. I like, I'm competent. I can do things. I can do math. Come on. Is very similar to Marcellus. Right. Where he's like, I know lots of random information about fish. I can just recite it to you right now. I don't know when I learned it, but I just know it. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. People want their interior consciousness to be the same as what people see on the outside. Yeah. The power of gossip is that it can help make that happen and it can also prevent that from happening. Yeah, the power of gossip is the the ability for partial perspectives to all come together to fo- to form a whole and you can't be a whole without the partial perspectives of all the people that know you and like help you tell your the stories around you. So, that's the role of the interior conscious made visible by gossip. By gossip and octopuses. <laughs> An octopus symbolizing Chardon's new sphere. Yes. Well, for whatever we read next, the one thing that this book was missing is I wanted there to be more cuteness with Tova and Ethan. Like, it's kind of implied in the end that they're, like, together because Ethan's over all the time. But it's not exactly, like, the romances we're used to in reading for this podcast. I did appreciate the Cameron and Avery romance, even though it was very underdeveloped. I mean, it it wasn't a story about that, but just having like 30 somethings, like young professionals be in a relationship. I haven't read a good young professional book since I read your book. Oh, well, <laughs> when I think about who writes like me or who I really enjoy reading right now, Emily Henry, I feel like has been having a lot of really big new adult young professional romance books that are like a, the, the big beach read every single year. And she's got a new one coming out. Just in time for summer. Let's read Emily Henry's Happy Place. Perfect. According to Goodreads, it's a couple who broke up months ago, make a pact to pretend to still be together for their annual week-long vacation with their best friends in this glittering and wise new novel from the New York Times number one bestseller, Emily Henry. So that sounds like it's exactly something we would read. Yes. It's a classic, well-worn trope of people that need to pretend to still be together. Yes. And oh, and they're going to be in a main cottage. You and I have been in a East Coast cottage together with our producer. A Martha's Vineyard cottage. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll be able to like have real lived experience. (laughs) Yeah. Played croquet on the lawn. Yeah. With this East Coast humidity. Yeah. Hopefully there's no broken ankles in this in this novel. I think that we got our broken ankle fill on Tova (laughs) in this book. Yeah. Uh, That's true. That's true. All right. I'm excited about this. Happy place. Emily Henry. Literary Connections is hosted by me, James Earl, and Melissa Hansen, and we're produced by Kimberly Johnson. You can follow us on Twitter at lit underscore connections. Join us next month when we will be reading Happy Place by Emily Henry. See you then. We've got 30 seconds on the clock. And sorry, 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 whoops. Wow, we're having a (laughs) this week, 30 seconds. Um, Okay, one minute on the clock and three, two, one, go.